Ladies and gentlemen, episode number 130 of Let's Go Racing. Tyler Jones, along with David Starr, out this week. Uh, Spencer Hill going to join us. Uh, coming up in just a bit. Race car driver, also covering uh, the sport of NASCAR for ESPN Albuquerque and more. We'll get his insights coming up in just a little while from right now. Take a look at our news and notes with the NASCAR schedule release upon us. Also, the current uh, NASCAR playoff picture where things stand. And also look ahead to uh, this week's action as well and look back at the weekend that was at Talladega. Uh, and we'll also have your uh, questions. Our mailbag segment coming up at the end of the show as well. Dominic Argon joins me right now. Dom, uh, Ryan Blaney wins at the line, a photo finish. I mean, I don't know about you, but I had to rewind the highlight of that final lap just to see it for myself again. I could not believe the moves that he made to get up front and win that race. I mean, it, it was one of those deals. I, I wish Larry Mack was calling the race because he, he would have said that beforehand, oh, he's in the catbird seat. I mean, where did he come from? I mean, that was just an incredible drive by Ryan Blaney to win and lock up a spot the next round. Well, it was a little bit of a, like a shuffleboard kind of situation. You, I mean, you're watching this race. You're watching the last few laps unfold, and you have these comers and goers. And, Man, time and time again, Ryan Blaney's doing something right to win his third Talladega race. And, and and Tyler, before the second place finish got disqualified from Kevin Harvey, we'll get more into that here in a minute. Ryan Blaney's win was his third at Talladega, but that was his largest margin of victory by 12 one thousandths of a second. The other two victories in 2019 and 2020 by eight one thousandths of a second so he increased his margin of how much he won these things by but he's winning these things in photo finish fashion yeah and his third win of the year uh dom he went winless last year and to have the season that he's having to be in playoff contention um that's a big deal for Rod Blaney to get the job done uh and have this bounce back season he wasn't bad last year he just wasn't getting into victory lane no, I think he had like the seventh or sixth most points of any driver, like Martin Truex Jr., the two winless guys last year. I think shocked us that they went winless. But now with the round of eight advancement, not having to worry about the roll, the track he's won at, be a chance to earn some more points. But we've never seen Ryan, <clears throat> excuse me, Ryan Blaney advance to the championship four as a contender. And we saw how fast he was last year at Phoenix Raceway, coming second to his teammate, Joey Logano. Could this be the year Ryan Blaney advances that championship four? But certainly you got to think momentum's on their side with Team Penske in a, in a year that has been down for the entire organization. There is that glimmer of hope with Ryan Blaney, that ninth career win, looking really good as ever. Meanwhile, uh, Kevin Harvick was uh, just short of winning that race, but then ended up getting DQ'd and uh, was scored as the last place finisher after not passing post-race inspection. Uh, it would have been cool to see the celebration and everything if Kevin Harvick would have gotten uh, a win there, but I bet you Kevin's probably sitting there saying to himself that he, if he knew he was, wasn't going to pass post-race inspection, that he's glad that he wasn't officially ruled the winner. What if that would have been the way he would have gone out with his last win of some sort? Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, he's, he's already out of the playoff picture. That's actually probably worked out better that he didn't win initially anyway, if he would have known what was coming next. Oh, that would have hurt a lot more. It would have been like we're ripping stitches out of a fresh wound. And I can tell you, being at that Pocono race last year where you saw first and second place get disqualified, Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch, 
Chase Elliott wasn't even around. I think he had said he found out on the airplane ride back from Pennsylvania to North Carolina that he was named the winner of the Pocono race. Didn't even lead a single lap. So that would have been really, really weird. And the fact that it's his final year, I mean, 60 wins, nothing to croak about. Tenth all-time on the NASCAR wins list. He's champion of the sport. But that would have really, really hurt. I think that would have been a really black eye on Harvick and NASCAR. Not necessarily even NASCAR, but the situation as a whole. That would have looked a lot worse. You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, I think so. We'll talk more about the uh, playoff picture where things stand. Uh, Kevin up in uh, a little while from right now. But first, uh, Dominic, our uh, guest this week, uh, somebody that uh, you're very familiar with. Uh, Not very often we can talk to somebody uh, within the great state of New Mexico, but uh, we have a very special guest this week for that. And when we do bring him from New Mexico, we bring him with the punches, man. I've known this guy a good five, six, seven years, and we've gotten to work alongside together the New Mexico Motorsports Report, ESPN Radio, Albuquerque, all our connections out there, and our, our news partners with the racing experts, and really, really good guy. And, and we're looking for a guest this week. David Soap recommended his boss. David's been on the show before. He said, you guys need to get Spencer on. And I couldn't agree more. So we're talking somebody who has experience behind the microphone and behind the wheel. He's got a fascinating story on his involvement in motorsports. Looking forward to, to learning more alongside all of you about his story. Spencer, thanks so much for this week for joining us here on Let's Go Racing. Gentlemen, thank you so much for having me tonight. It has just been a crazy week of racing. I'm glad that I get to sit here digest it with you guys. I'm a big fan of the show. Of course, I split my time between driving and talking about the sport. So uh, this is a natural fit. Oh, absolutely. I think, Tyler, here we, we've got a good driver analyst role. We always talk about how David's the driver analyst. We've got a good driver analyst here in Spencer with all his experience behind the wheel. Yeah, no question about it. And uh, Spencer, uh, we get plenty of headlines that we'll get to coming up a bit, but wanting to take a moment to get to know you first. Uh Tell me about where it all started uh, when it comes to your uh, your love for racing. Uh, where did this uh, all begin for you, man? Well, I'm sure like you've heard with Dominic, it, it's kind of rare to see a racer come out of New Mexico. Uh, we used to be known for racing back in the heyday. Not so much anymore. Definitely a lot more rare nowadays. But I've loved racing ever since I was born, man. Much like you guys. Uh, the sport of NASCAR has been in my blood since the very beginning. And I have always worked my butt off to try to get at least as high as I possibly can up the totem pole uh, just because I, I just live breathe eat it every single day I basically started out in goat carts here in the New Mexico area uh, race regionally in fact I've been to the cart track up in Newton Iowa I'm sure we'll talk about Newton here in a little bit but it has been a wild ride for me started out in goat carts moved on to micro sprints and now i currently run wing and non-wing sprint cars for a team called seh motorsports out of rio ranch in mexico and uh alongside that i also cover the sport of nascar and basically any other form of motorsport on the new mexico motorsports report which is a radio and print publication based out of here in albuquerque very cool that's awesome to see uh spencer uh, all the uh, stuff you're doing uh these days and uh from there you, you mentioned the uh new mexico thing not not a ton of drivers as of late but great history i, I think everybody immediately thinks of the uncers who are some of your heroes whether it was uh guys that you grew up maybe rooting on from there in new mexico or just uh guys you you, you watch from afar uh, over the years man well, I'll give you two. I'll give you one of the, my New Mexico guys. I, I won't go and name one of the answers. I, I think that's everybody's first choice, right? 
Uh, but Buddy Taylor was out of New Mexico. He's a sprint car driver from way back in the day. Unfortunately, he was killed in an accident at Manzanita Speedway, but definitely one of the greats of the sport, somebody I look up to every single day uh, when it comes to sprint car and dirt track racing. Now on the national side and the asphalt side, I've always been a really, really big proponent of Bobby Labonte growing up. Uh, been one of my favorite drivers ever since I can remember. In fact, when I started racing go-karts, I ran the number 18 uh, in honor of him and ended up going up to the next level. Had to pick another number. 18 was taken. So I took four and uh, that was just a family number. But Bobby Abani, definitely one of the greats out there. Look up to him. Had the chance to meet him a few times. Very nice guy in person as well. And uh, man, people like him, Mark Martin, that's definitely the type of people that I look up to uh, and I strive to be in my own personal side of racing. That's Absolutely. great. And, and I think too, I don't know if you can relate to this Spencer, but even looking at guys like that have come from our home state, one guy that stands out to me just because of his perseverance and, and how much of a, I don't know if child prodigy is the right word, but somebody who was definitely held in a high regard here in our state going through the ranks of racing Alex Kennedy and his story and coming from the Four Corners area and making it to the Cup Series and, and running a partial schedule in 15 and running for the NASCAR Cup Series Rookie of the Year campaign with Joe Falk and Circle Sport Racing and just seeing that story. And that was about the time where I was starting to head to the track and, and cover this more regularly. And, and that was kind of like a, a motivating factor for me. Like, hey, there's somebody from my home state that's doing this too. I mean, most of the media people don't come from New Mexico or on the East Coast or from wherever, from bigger organizations back East or California. And I kind of saw that comparison. Like, hey, I'm kind of like Alex Kennedy in this media landscape. So he, he for me, was somebody that I looked up to, Tyler. Because, again, we don't get a lot of people here from New Mexico that make it nationally. And, and Kennedy is the last New Mexican to date to run a NASCAR Cup Series race. That's very cool. Uh, you know, like, you know, you guys know I'm from Oklahoma, and uh, Christopher Bell was a big deal when he emerged on the scene. You know, he was the first – and only now NASCAR driver from the state of Oklahoma ever win a cup race. And I think the first thing I said when he won a cup race was, all right, he's got to go in the Oklahoma sports hall of fame now, because he's done something no one else has ever done uh, in this state. And so, yeah, it always hits closer to home when that's the case. Uh, Spencer, uh, tell me about uh, your racing and uh, some of the stuff you're, you're doing, man. Uh, you're, you're out on the road about every weekend, right? Yeah, it's been a really busy year. Uh, I mean, between the sprint car, the micro sprint schedule, uh, of course, the radio magazine publication. I also crew for my friend Jason Irwin, who owns a uh, pretty big legend car team based out of Albuquerque. He's a multi-time world finals champion, asphalt nationals champion. In fact, uh, tomorrow I'm boarding a plane. We're racing this weekend up in New Hampshire at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. We have road course world finals this weekend. So, even when I'm not behind the wheel, behind the microphone or typing on a computer, I still find a way to stay involved with the sport. Uh, really looking forward to that. We went out there and tested a few weeks ago. I'd never been to New Hampshire Motor Speedway before. Uh, definitely never seen the road course layout there. That's a sight to behold out there. It's beautiful, especially this time of year. Leaves are changing. Uh, looking forward to that. In fact, kind of tying it back to some more NASCAR stuff, uh, we've had the Rife brothers, who we've heard in the Arca Menard series, this year they're going to be driving for us this weekend so looking forward to seeing how tanner and tyler are going to do up there in new hampshire oh absolutely look at that hey, make a small world smaller right <laughs> it's crazy how we could just bring it all back um it, for me 
when you look at something like that too, of course, the Rife brothers out of Las Vegas, the fact that they're able to team up with another Southwest team is really special. And I, I think that's a bond that uh, we all share is being able to come out of a place that really isn't known very much, at least for asphalt racing and go and cover the sport, race in the sport, participate. Uh, I, I think that everybody that does it from somewhere, maybe more of a small town vibe, you know, we're not the East Coast guys. We're not back East with all the big teams and all the resources, whether it be from the actual parts and pieces to even just the information. I mean, we have to work so hard uh, just to compete at any level that I think it just makes it that much more special. Kind of like the, the furniture real racing of what you guys are doing, how they were the outlier. They were the team of the West Coast competing against everybody on the East Coast. That's kind of what you guys are doing here. Yeah, the fact that Barney Visser was able to do that out here, I, I don't think he gets enough credit, guys. Like he really was a pioneer in the sport as far as being able to take something that is just solely based out of North Carolina and bringing it out here. Yes, it wasn't 100% based out of Denver, but for the most part, um, they pretty much stayed true to their Colorado genes, and they were very successful. Of course, NASCAR Cup Series champions with Martin Truex Jr. They build a, a really great program. Um, it's sad to have seen that kind of vanish, but maybe somewhere down the road we'll see another team pop up out of the Southwest uh, or Midwest region. Oh, we, we yeah. joke all the time on this show, Spencer. I don't know if you agree with this or not. We've made this joke a few times. Like the, the book, 48 Laws of Power. And one of those laws in that book is never outshine the master. And unfortunately, that's what Furniture Row Racing did in 2017. Hey, we're going to take your equipment, Joe Gibbs Racing. We're going to go win a championship with it, to which Joe Gibbs responds, all right, we're going to double the amount of money it's going to cost to lease our equipment. Yeah, and that kind of paints them into a corner of their own, right? They did what they could. They succeeded at every single level they possibly could at that. Um, and then, for lack of a better term, they just kind of got booted out of the sport. I, Barney could have stayed, but I, at some point, I, I think that you have to think of it from a business perspective. Now he's probably kicking himself now that we have the charter system and everything, and now charters are going for $40 million. I mean, right. that would have probably changed the conversations up quite a bit. But the fact that it happened was a great piece of history there in itself. Yeah, I mean, if maybe if it wouldn't have been Joe Gibbs, if they would have been, you know, a Ford or Chevy affiliated team of some sorts or start an engine program, I mean, who knows what could have happened? You know, I I, I think honestly that you know Barney got his championship and his heart was kind of out of it at that point. Uh, you know, that they accomplished what they wanted to. You mentioned like the West Coast expansion stuff. You know, we heard Trackhouse before they ended up buying Ganassi. They had plans. They were going to go to Nashville and they wanted to start a shop on Broadway, um, you know, all these NASCAR teams you got in Charlotte, you got most of the IndyCar teams are in Indianapolis. I, I would love to see like stuff branch out and really just have teams that represent a region and, and, and spread this sport out a bit, uh, not be so North Carolina centric. Uh, I mean, Spencer, I, I think you're onto something. That'd be a terrific thing. I, I think it'd benefit the store, the sport, quite frankly. And, you know, honestly, Tyler, I, I believe that with this charter system, that's one of the benefits that it does bring. It, it does bring at least that source of security to where if a team wanted to go regional and really connect with a specific fan base, uh, I think Trackhouse is the perfect example as far as Nashville goes. They could do that move and they would be able to at least have the resources behind them to make, make it at least as successful as it could possibly be. I, I know that there's a lot of logistical issues 
as far as trying to get parts and pieces, uh, uh, chassis, that was a big question last year. Doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal this year. Uh, there's always going to be something logistically speaking though, that's going to make that move a little bit harder, but I think if any team can do it, track house is definitely going to be the first one to jump. Yeah. I, I think they will eventually move to Nashville. It was kind of hard when they ended up buying a team to kind of tell all the employees, yeah, we're going to move you to Nashville. It wasn't going to quite work, but eventually I think they will. And we'll see if uh, others follow suit. Certainly uh, kind of an underlying storyline of sorts uh, going on for sure. Uh, Spencer, uh, some of the, the race tracks, uh, we mentioned the travels you've been, what are some of the, your favorite spots that uh, you've been to and you've raced at across the country, man. Oh man, that's a loaded question, right? Yeah, there's so many great tracks across the U S the great thing about being involved with both dirt track racing and asphalt racing and road course racing, as far as this year has gone is I've really gotten to have the buffet of racetracks all season long. Right here in New Mexico, we have a beautiful dirt track called Vado Speedway Park. I highly recommend anybody that's ever in the region to come check it out. We have a great late model race called the Wild West Shootout that a big name. Uh, he goes by Young Money. Kyle Larson, in fact, has foregone the Chili Bowl. We'll do that again and go race that event instead of the Chili Bowl this year. And that's right here in our backyard. So as far as locally speaking, that's the first place I look at. Uh, when I'm moving forward... I think the bull ring at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, that holds some great racing, whether it be the Arc Menard series or even the legend car stuff that we're doing, late models, et cetera. Uh, Tucson Speedway, another great short track that's here in our region. And then moving on across, I, I just talked about it, New Hampshire Motor Speedway, the Granite State, beautiful racing facility. Seems like a very strong field of cars over there, whether it be the Modifieds or even the Legends like I'm going to this weekend. Uh, and then we go across to many other tracks. I mean, there's some hidden gems out there too. Over in Oklahoma, there's a place called Hallett Speedway or Hallett Motorsports Park, I believe, something like that. That's a beautiful road course out there as well. That's great. Uh, a lot of awesome stuff uh, you're doing. So let me ask you this. Uh, between the, the the journalism side of things, the racing side, uh, you work a day job too, working alongside David Swope with the the marketing side of things. What's kind of the the ultimate goal here, Spencer? What's what's the path you're uh, you're charting here? You want to be uh, you know keep that itch towards racing, or, or are you more toward towards the media side? What what are you looking to get to? What's the end game for you? That's another really big question that I've been asking myself the last few years. As much as I want to just jump and go 100% into the media side of things, I do enjoy it. In fact, I've announced races before. Uh, I cover the sport. I cover dirt, asphalt. It doesn't matter. I, I love racing. At the end of the day, I would have a really, really difficult time, I think, jumping out of the wheel and, and just leaving my racing career on a personal note aside. Could I do it for a short period of time? Sure. I, I think that that would be reasonable. Uh, but I don't think that I could just hang up the helmet quite yet. I, I think that for me personally, if I could somehow balance the media side of things, cover the sport that I love, but still be able to participate in it, at least in some form or fashion, that's probably my end goal at the moment. Uh, I realized that, you know, it, being in New Mexico, very hard to get sponsorship dollars. I've gotten approached by teams before too. And, and I want to go, you know, ARCA racing, truck racing, but I, it's hard to find even funding to go do a one-off race like that. Um, it, it's just such a difficult sport nowadays for young drivers 
to get to that next level without the proper funding. And, you know, I, I realized that my clock is kind of timed out too. I'm, I'm 26 years old. That's pretty unrealistic to at least get a really high quality ride uh, in the sport of NASCAR. I could go dirt racing probably, but that costs money too. But I, I, at the end of the day, if I can just stay involved in it and just share my love with others, I think that's my goal at the moment and take it day by day and just see where that takes me. Well, I think that's a great answer there too, Tyler. And I think I'm sure you've thought about this too, Spencer. One guy I think of it who kind of does your role on a more national stage is Parker Clearman. Getting the chance to race Xfinity on Saturday, and he's still doing the pit road reporting on Sundays, and I believe he still has his show on Peacock. So he's got his hands in all these different little pots, and you can tell he's very busy, but he's really enjoying what he's doing. And I, and I see definitely that same work ethic and what you're working towards as well. Yeah, at, Parker does a great job. I don't think people realize how much pressure is put on him every single weekend when he has to balance the TV Parker and the race car driver Parker. That is a very hard switch to turn on and off. And he does an incredible job. And we've seen him, you know, carry a lot of speed into these playoffs too, with that pressure on his back to still be able to go out there and do his nine to five job for lack of a better term. It, it is impressive. And that's definitely another person that I really look up to. I think he does a great job with it. Um, I'd love to do something similar to that if the opportunities ever came. Uh, but yeah, Parker is a great example of somebody that just loves the sport and does it for all the right reasons. You know, we, we've had a lot of great stories in NASCAR this year. You know, a lot of people, of course, talking about Kevin Harvick's retirement or what Frankie Muniz has done in ARCA. But one of the more under radar things, I, I think you mentioned it, Spencer, Parker Klugerman. Uh, what he's gotten out of that 48 car in Xfinity, who's never really had that much success, uh, you know, the uh, the big machine uh, vodka team there, they haven't really had much success previously and you know, getting them into the playoffs and as well as he's run and still doing the TV side. I mean, that that's that's been an incredible story. One of the best stories in the sports the sport this year, I think. Yeah, and we're looking at him just one point out of making the next round of the playoffs right now. That's incredible. It's a smaller team. I, I think that it's been well-documented throughout the entire year that they don't have the budget that I would say nearly any of these teams in the top 12 have. The only person that would be comparable as far as budget goes would probably be Jeb Burton, who's also doing a great job. He's another guy that's just been grinding it out for the last decade, trying to get his big break. He's tried it with some part-time stuff. He's gone to some big teams, uh, and he's tried full-time with a smaller team. And it, it's just one of those personalities that just – wants to succeed so bad that they will do whatever it takes uh, to go to that next level. And I, I think that both of those drivers have done a really good job in this playoff run. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we're joined by uh, Spencer Hill, ESPN Albuquerque race car driver, uh, joining us on the program this week. Got time for a few more questions, then we'll uh, get on to our uh, news and notes this week. Uh, Spencer, uh, we mentioned about, about your racing and everything, and you're doing this for a while. Uh, I do see some trophies back there. T take a moment, brag on yourself for a minute. Tell me about the wins and some of the cooler moments you've had. There's been definitely a couple wins, you know, throughout the career. Yeah, I've been very, very uh, just blessed to have the opportunity to race for some good race teams, including my family team. We've worked really hard uh, ever since we started racing. We've never been – one of the teams with the biggest budget, we never had, you know, multiple cars and motors that we could just blow through. Uh, I, I've done it on a pretty small scale, but 
you know, I, I've had some wins um, with the New Mexico Motor Racing Association. I'm a three-time winner in non-wing competition there for 360 sprint cars. Uh, I've won some big micro sprint races too. Uh, this year, I just won a very big race. It was $4,000 to win. It was called the Big Daddy and Hooch Memorial. That was at Aztec Speedway, Alex Kennedy's home track. And yeah, it, it's been great, man. I'm, right now I'm gearing up. I got one more race left in the season coming up in November. Uh, it's called the Turkey Bowl. I'm a past champion of that. And also gearing up for the Tulsa Shootout, which is in the same building as the Chili Bowl Nationals. Yeah. And looking forward to that, man. That is such a great opportunity for drivers, both uh, trying to break into the next level of the sport and the veterans of micro sprint racing. For me and a lot of other drivers that I talk to, the Tulsa Shootout is every bit, if not harder to win than the Chili Bowl Nationals. Because there are 350, 400 cars per class. For example, I'm listed in four classes this year. It's called Outlaw Wing, Outlaw Non-Wing, A-Class, and Stock Non-Wing. Those are kind of the four big ones going into the year. And, man, it is just every single lap the most high-intensity racing that you'll ever see. Uh, you race every single night multiple times. And just getting into a feature is worth putting on a T-shirt. Oh, yeah. Tulsa Shootout, great event. You know, that's my hometown, Tulsa there. And, uh, you know, the the lead up between the shootout to the Chili Bowl, those weeks are as good as it gets in the state of Oklahoma. They do an incredible job putting that event on. Uh, Dominic, I, I don't know if you got the chance to. I want to see Spencer race. Like, I, I want to go root him on and, and, and see him do his thing, man, because uh, I, I got to tell you, I'm just fired up listening to him of all that, that he's done here, Dom. Same, and I'm even more ashamed to say I'm from the same state. We're only an hour apart, and I know he's raced at my home track at Uranium Capital Speedway, now Legacy Speedway here in Grants slash Milan, New Mexico. And I've never seen Spencer behind the wheel. I do need to change that. Let's make it happen, guys. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm racing Legacy anytime soon. Uh, their schedule doesn't include sprint cars, and that takes up the majority of the schedule. But might have to sneak out there for a micro sprint race. And then uh, you guys are more than welcome to come party it up with me in Tulsa. Hey, there we go. Good. Let's uh, Do Dominic. He he knows the t-shirt guy. We can get made. You know, we, we'll uh, we'll get we'll be the 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 rooting section, the cheering section for Spencer Hill. You know, well, we I'm putting you guys to work. I need crew guys for that. You guys oh, don't get crew guys. Oh, oh yeah. hell yeah! Put me on that crew. Thing. Hell yeah! I'll be Mind on the crew. Up. <laughs> That's now, awesome. now, all right. Here here's here's my follow-up question. Then being the the big J journal then. If we're on the crew, then Spencer, what are our assignments going to be? What would Dom and I be doing on your your race crew here? Well, the number one rule of the Tulsa Shootout and Chili Bowl is to drink a lot of beer and party every single night. So as long as you guys can do that part, that's a good start. The second half of it is trying your ass off to try to get into that feature field on Saturday night. Winning a Golden Driller is one of the hardest things to do, whether it be that two weeks before at the Tulsa shootout or at the Chili Bowl Nationals, everybody is just at the very tip top of their game. They bring their best equipment to that race. Uh, and man, the littlest change and the littlest bit of luck is going to be what determines who is the great and who goes home on the trailer early. Well, I don't know if Dominic can drink and party uh, enough for you, but uh, I'll, I'll carry his weight, you know, so we're, we're good for the two of us. Where I fall short, Tyler will make up. There we go. See, that's teamwork right there. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. 
We'll make it happen. Looking forward to it, Spencer. Uh, coming up next, our uh, news and notes, latest headlines around the sport. Also got our mailbag segment coming up at the end of the show. But right now, uh, Dominic takes it away with the uh, top headlines going on. Uh, Dom, we were taping this before the schedule is released. And uh, a couple of noteworthy things of sorts of, of what we already know. North Wilkesboro for the All-Star Race. Iowa on the schedule, Montreal not happening after all. Uh, deal fell apart at the 11th hour. Uh, Bristol going back to two races. Indy going back to the Oval. Uh, Dale Jr. says no Roval. A lot of changes in 2024. A lot of changes, and, and the most recent is the time of this taping of the show. On Tuesday, October 3rd, NASCAR announced that the NASCAR Cup Series will be heading to Iowa Speedway in Newton, Iowa in 2024 for a race weekend, a companion event weekend with the NASCAR Xfinity Series in June of 2024. This will mark the first time that the Cup Series embarks to Iowa Speedway and a three-year hiatus return for the NASCAR Xfinity Series to Iowa. And I know he's not here and I know he says every track is his favorite track, Tyler, but you got to imagine David's pretty excited. Anytime we've talked about Iowa Speedway on this show, he's pretty amped up about it. So you got to imagine David's happy about that, too. Yes. Let's talk about Iowa Speedway here. Uh, Spencer, we'll start with you. I like Iowa Speedway. Great track. We've seen some really good racing there. I know the next-gen car hasn't done that well on a short tracks. But, like, it's twofold here. I look at it, Spencer. I, I, I think it's going to be great racing and I'm happy for the people of Newton, Iowa. They deserve a NASCAR Cup race. But the business part of me says, why the hell are we going to Newton, Iowa uh, and not Montreal, Canada? Like, it, it's it's two sides of it. The racing side makes sense. The business side, I don't think it makes any sense at all. What say you? Well, Tyler, let me start with this. Ever since I went to the first ever Xfinity race at Iowa, I fell in love with that track. That, that is one of the coolest tracks that I think people probably don't even know about for the most part, especially the average fan. I, I think that Iowa Speedway has potential to be one of the best short tracks on the schedule. Now, it's put up or shut up time for NASCAR. They need to bring a product that's going to back that up. We cannot keep going to these short tracks with a package that makes it so difficult to pass where people are running the same exact speed throughout all 500 miles it's not going to work, especially in a market like Iowa. You just talked about the business decision. NASCAR stepped out of Iowa because they had a really hard time packing the stands there. I'm really, really hoping that this is going to bring some momentum in that area. There's a lot of people, a lot of race fans in that market. It is go time as far as everybody's concerned, whether you're working at Iowa Speedway or for NASCAR. We got to sell some tickets and we have to really perform in this first year. Yeah. And what about Dom? Uh, on the business side as well. NASCAR is really going all in on the Midwest market. Uh, you got two races at Kansas. St. Louis has sold out their race back-to-back -back years. We know about the Chicago street race and the success it was. Um, I mean, they're, they're not messing around. Like NASCAR is making a statement to have all these races uh, in the, in the Midwest when it wasn't too long ago that, Kansas was the only race in the the Midwest of that bunch. 
they're putting more chips on the table with this region of the United States. And, and to Spencer's point too, Jonathan Field, our managing editor at the Racing Experts, who's been on the show a few times, he had even said he was at the Iowa Speedway weekends in 2019. He'd spoke with fans and just kind of wanted to get an engagement of what like the pulse of the room, the pulse of the area. And a lot of fans didn't even realize there was racing going on and, and they preferred some other local or regional racing that was in the area compared to the Xfinity series. And the comment that Jonathan kept hearing Tyler was that the cup series was here at Iowa, that they would be going to the cup race weekend. So hopefully the hype lives up and NASCAR's business decision pays off with this move. Cause it certainly seems like there's a little bit of a risk factor. When you think about it, we all know that these business decisions are going to be risk factors, but certainly a bigger risk here, but that could pay off if you have fans showing up and the hype only goes in. Like you said, NASCAR is really big on this Midwest push right now. Yeah, yeah, they are. Uh, we'll see how it works. Uh, big for Iowa, and we've seen they've had a lot of success with that IndyCar race the last few years, and with uh, you know the big concert acts that that Hy-Vee's been able to put together of names like Blake Shelton and Carrie Underwood and others uh, to pair up with it. So we'll see what they do. Uh, Spencer, of the other things we know about the schedule, uh, what stands out to you of some of these uh, changes and then maybe some of the things that didn't happen with Montreal falling apart and all that? What's uh, kind of your takeaways? Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point with Montreal. That made so much sense to me right now with all the momentum that we have. I think that we were told it was a done deal. That's what I heard. It it is mind-blowing to me how that just simply vanished into thin air. Going to the Canadian market is really what the sport needs. If we're moving towards this idea of taking this global, I mean, that that's where you start. That is point B to get to C to eventually get overseas. How they were able to have things get so far to where they were telling teams, you know, hey, get your passports ready. Let's go. Let, we're going to do this thing to now – just a big question mark on the schedule on there. That is, that's hard to see. It is. And, and Dom, uh, if we're going to be frank, I think, I think NASCAR's got questions to answer. Ben Kennedy has made it very known. He wants international expansion. They publicly pursued this Montreal thing hard. Uh, I want to know what, I want to know what happened. And, and I think NASCAR owes it to their fans to explain what, what went down. We may get an explanation and, and like we had Dustin Long on our show, NBC Sports earlier this year, and he's, he's even saying how NASCAR has been more transparent. We probably might get a more candid response as compared to today as maybe we would have gotten 15 or 20 years ago. I imagine we will get an answer on that. And, and oh, by the way, a great way to plug our guests for next week, too. We've had some good guests this month. Adam Stern, the Sports Business Journal, might be able to tell us more on that next week. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, and then just the other things, uh, Dom between Bristol going back to, uh, you know, taking away the dirt race, Indy going to the Oval, uh, Roval looking like it's gone, uh, seems to be a, a more focus on what uh, what people want, not what they thought they wanted, but going back to just real hardcore racing seems to be a, a common theme here. Well, and it seems like the mile and a half, who would have thought? has put on some really great and spectacular racing this year. And so have the road courses, in my opinion. But it seems like the general consensus among NASCAR Nation, they want to keep seeing these races that we're seeing at the mile and a half. And who would have thought that would have been the case five, six, seven years ago? So it's a cycle, Tyler. And it seems like we're in the cycle of loving to hate road courses now, which I wouldn't have thought would have been a thing five, six years ago among the fan base. 
Yeah, I love road courses. I want more road courses, but uh, we'll see. Uh, one more note, just kind of on this uh, this schedule stuff, and uh, obviously we're taping this before everything officially gets released here. But I'll say this, Spencer, I love how fluid things are. That you know, there was a point in time when NASCAR had a five year locked contract where the tracks and the number of races were never going to change. And now every year there's changes to the tracks, you know, where we go to the style of the track, how it's raced, the dates, like now every year we're, we're at a point where we're getting something different. The days of Jeff Gordon having a win at every single racetrack are long over. Uh, you're not going to have that again because the schedule's fluid now. Yeah, I, I like it. I personally think that this is what NASCAR's needed for probably the last 10 years. I think it's a little overdue, but the fact that they're at least able to get out there, step out of their comfort zone and try new things is comforting both as a veteran fan and a new fan that might be looking at the sport from maybe a clear lens. I, I think that the fact that we're able to go do a street course race out of nowhere uh, we're able to go back to a track and give it a second chance. I, I think these are all really good things. And it makes me think, do we need to go to, I mean, nearly any of these tracks more than once? You're always going to want to go to Bristol twice. You're always going to want to go to Daytona twice, Talladega, sure. Uh, Charlotte, I mean, that's easy, right? But past that, I'm not sure we need to go to any of these tracks more than one time. What do you guys think? I agree. Uh, I, I think Daytona and Talladega are the only tracks you need to go to twice. Um, you know, maybe Atlanta because that offers something, you know, some speedway racing, but yeah, I mean, more diversity, the schedule, more opportunities. I mean, uh, you, you think about it, uh, Switzer brings up a good point, Dom, the story of these dead tracks coming back to life, Nashville, St. Louis, and now Iowa, all those tracks were left for dead, uh, you know, were just not being used and now they breathe new life and have chances to get that cup race they've always wanted makes me think does a track like Kentucky or something like that get another shot here down the line Dom or Chicago land speed with some of these old tracks that NASCAR run SMI owning Kentucky that could be another story but SMI seems to think outside the box like we've seen with North Wilkesboro and Bristol so maybe we see Kentucky get back or Chicago land speedway but I feel like as long as the street course is on the schedule, Tyler, which it looks like that's going to be on the schedule in 24 and 25. I don't think we see Chicago land saturating the market there too, because we have the street course, but we've seen stranger things. Yeah. Maybe it's, uh, you know, you get like a truck or Xfinity race at Chicago land, you run the street race for cup and with uh, sports cars or something like that. You know I mean? Who knows uh, from there, Dom, what else we got going on? Late last week and the last week of September, it was announced Kyle Busch Motorsports is being sold off to Spire Motorsports. We were talking earlier in this segment about NASCAR going all in. How about Spire Motorsports going all in? Spire Motorsports has acquired Kyle Busch Motorsports at Seasons End along with the manufacturing equipment and the shop facility in Mooresville, North Carolina. Spire Motorsports currently fills part-time entries in the Truck Series and Xfinity Series and has run full-time in the NASCAR Cup Series since 2019, acquiring originally the charter with Furniture Row Racing at the end of the 2018 season. Spire Motorsports is also keeping Kyle Busch on as a consultant with the role of the Truck Series. Bush will run five races for the organization in 2024. And, and Tyler, a big thing that Kyle Busch had said with this move was that he felt like he wasn't able to really fully commit 
to the organization like he had in years past with his son Brexton and his racing schedule ramping up, that that needs more of his attention. But the, the legacy there, Tyler, I mean, the fact that Kyle Busch Motorsports won races every single year that they competed in the truck series, including this year, Busch winning at Las Vegas, that organization has had a continued thing of winning, and we'll see if Spire can hold up true to that. Yeah, uh, this year wasn't going so great for Kyle Busch Motorsports, but I don't think they were getting the support from Chevrolet like he was getting from Toyota in the past. And uh, Chase Purdy, his driver, wasn't necessarily the best pick like he's had in drivers in the past. But nonetheless, great legacy for Kyle Busch Motorsports. You could argue uh, one of the best, if not the best, truck series team of all time uh, with this transition to Spire and and Spencer, I got to tell you, I'm very fascinated with Spire here. You know, they got a sneaky good driver lineup in the Cup Series in 2024 with Corey LaJoy, uh, you know, with with the guys that they they have now uh, in that fold, Carson Hosevar, and uh, uh, who, who am I missing? Uh, Dom. Uh, what's the other other name for Spire that they just signed? Trackhouse. Oh, Zane, Zane, Zane Smith. Zane Smith, thank you. With Zane Smith, like that's a very good young up-and-coming driver lineup. And now you add in this truck operation. I'd be curious, too, are they going to move all their cup operation to the Kyle Busch Motorsports facility, too, uh, how that all works? Like, this is a fascinating thing. Spire was, uh, you know, a team built from the ground up just a couple of years ago, and, and now here they are with uh, as far as they've come. It's pretty incredible, Spencer. Yeah, it is incredible. And you know what? I think the fact that they decided to bring in Zane Smith from the truck series, that probably shocked me a little bit more than the fact that they bought Kyle Busch Motorsports. Uh, and that's probably contradicting a lot of what people were shocked about. Uh, for me, though, I understand. I I've seen that Spire shop. It is a very small shop to run a cup operation out of. It was small when Levine had it. Uh, for them to run two pretty competitive cars, cars out of that shop is impressive to me, uh, especially when you're looking at the operation side of it. They needed a facility and they needed one quick. They were looking at these buildings that were, you know, 30, 40 million dollars. And it just did not make financial sense when they can get all of the assets from KBM, including I think this gets lost in a lot of the language. They picked up Rowdy Manufacturing, too, which is a very, very profitable business. Oh, absolutely. Oh, Making moves here, Tyler. It looks like Spire Motorsports is in the long haul for the NASCAR ride with the Cup Series, the Truck Series operation. It kind of, Spencer, I don't know if you agree with this, you too, Tyler, but it feels like there's vibes here of like when furniture are racing. Now, granted, they didn't, I, I keep going back to them, but those humble beginnings in Colorado and granted, Spire's on the East Coast, but it just has that kind of feel to it, like where a small team is really trying to make it. They're making the moves. Front Row Motorsports kind of comes to mind. Same as JTG Doherty Racing. These teams with humble beginnings trying to make some moves and trying to make things happen. Well, there's one thing we have not talked about that I think is going on behind the scenes. Uh, I think we all know it's going on, just you know, kind of waiting for somebody to actually confirm it and make it official. The, the connection with Gainbridge, um, I don't even know what Gainbridge is as a company, but they have a ton of money. Um, the Andretti connection, uh, we've heard about Marco Andretti, and you know he's jumped in those Spire trucks before, and that connection there, like, there's something going on. I think, you know, this is not, I. it's made out to be like Spire's this little team that's on the rise. No, no, no. They they got a ton of money that, that that's not being talked about here. Gangbridge 
the Andretti's, whoever it may be, some secret investors of some sorts, like is backing this and putting them in this position. I think that's what's really going on here, Spencer. Yeah, Tyler, to your point, I think that a lot of people are worried that they're growing too fast. And I think that those concerns are valid. You know, they, we haven't seen a team grow this exponentially in quite a long time, if ever, at least from a dollar standpoint. But this isn't coming completely out of the blue. We've heard Corey LaJoy have faith in this team for many, many years. He stuck, I mean, tough with them when they were basically just a 35th, 36th place team. And he said, I see the future inspire. I know that the decisions they're making today might not be the best for my career tomorrow, but five years down the line, it's where I want to be. He had the belief, you know, a couple of years ago, and now we're finally seeing, I think, a lot of those five-year plans come to fruition. Yeah. What do you think, Dom? Gainbridge, uh, uh, Andretti, could could we see potentially uh, it come out publicly that uh, that they have some involvement going on here? Look, I hadn't put that connection together, and you've got that thought in my head. And and, and hearing Spencer say, too, and Corey LaJoy and that commitment to Jeff Dickerson and everybody at Spire, and, and, and likewise, that symbiotic belief in each other, there, there is definitely, I think, more to the story. But I, I think Spencer is right, too, in the fact that you do have somebody that is willing to stick it out with Spire. Yeah, we know Corey LaJoy sent a letter to Rick Hendrick, wanted an offer, and he did get that opportunity with the nine car this year. But he's run a lot better in that seven car than that showing, that rough showing. That's one race is not one a big enough sample size, but he has run really well with Spire Motorsports, has gotten the most out of that equipment, and they could be onto something here, but there could be something with that Andretti connection. It's going to be exciting to see how that plays out. And the Andretti's uh big news in the motorsports world this week uh did get their uh purchase approved to, to buy into F1 uh and uh gonna bring over Chrysler to uh compete. Uh, on the F1 side of things. So we know that they are investing in other motorsports series beyond IndyCar there. What else going on, Dom? This weekend, NASCAR heads to the Charlotte Road Course, and this will be the fifth installment of the NASCAR, I'm sorry, sixth installment of the NASCAR Roval. When it debuted in 2018, we saw some great racing and being a cutoff race the last few years, Tyler, got to imagine this weekend is going to be no different with the cutoff. And as always, we take a look at the odds and your opening odds heading into the Bank of America Roval 400. And this weekend, maybe a shock, maybe not a shock. He's no longer in playoff contention, but his team is for the owner's championship. Chase Elliott opens up at 6-1, to one, a two-time Roval winner. Your original winner of the Roval, Tyler, in 2018, Ryan Blaney at 28-1 to one opening odds. Christopher Bell, last year's winner, sitting at 18-1 to one as well. So, Certainly some odds-on favorites. A.J. Allmendinger sitting at 10-1 as well, who's won that race four times on the Xfinity side. Will not be able to go for a fifth one because he's collecting cup points. Ineligible this weekend, but really interesting racing. And the fact that we're going to have cautions after the stage breaks, too, just adds another element of surprise. Yeah, uh, it does. I hate the cautions after the stage breaks, uh, but that's not my call. Um, let's look at the playoff picture here for a second, Dom. Um, we know that Byron and Blaney have advanced. They're on to the next round. But then it is and, – and Denny Hamlin's pretty much advanced. He starts the race, you know, he's he's pro- probably in 50 points ahead. But beyond that, it's kind of wide open. 22 points for Christopher Bell ahead of the line. Chris Buescher, 19 ahead. 
Truex 17, Larson 15, Keselowski 2, Tyler Reddick 2 out, Bubba 9 out, Chastain 10 out, and Kyle Busch 26 out. There's going to be some good drivers left behind and not advancing uh, out of this round into the round of eight at this point in time. And, you know, Spencer, I, I very well could see a situation where even Kyle Busch, who's in 12th right now, he could he could win this in advance and, and, and shake this entire thing up here. I mean, Ross Chastain, 10 points back. We've seen what in the past what he's willing to do uh when his playoff life is on the line here i mean it's it's anybody's guess this is a huge wild card race this weekend the wild cards of all wild cards right guys i mean it is crazy to think that we can go into this weekend and just basically all but check off kyle bush unless he wins that that's something that i don't think a lot of people would have thought of uh after the first five races of this season Ross Chastain, another guy with just tough luck at Talladega. Not that you can ever count on something good happening there, but that taking him out of contention doesn't put him out, but 10 points back is definitely a tough spot because now you put that whole team in a bind. You're looking at, do you go after stage points? Do you try to play it safe? Or do you put it all out on the line and do you go for the win? That 10-point window, good or bad, that is a very, very difficult place for crew chiefs. In some aspects, I'd almost rather be Kyle Bush with 26 back. You know what you got to go do. You can't be conservative. You can't just go for stage points. You got to flip every stage and you got to go and try to win that race. Dom, uh, you went over the odds. Let's ask you personally, though. What realistically is Kyle Bush's hopes of getting into victory lane in advance of the next round right now, you think? Man, sitting 26 points back, that's pretty much half a race because outside of the Coke 600, the most points you can gain on any competitor in one race is 59 points. And that's a tall order to do itself. He's going to have to hope for some drivers having some bad races, getting collected and caught up in other melee and crashes and mayhem. It's going to take a win is what it seems like at this point. And, and I got to admit, Tyler, I did think of you on Sunday when they were showing the cutoff after the Talladega race and showing Kyle Busch at 12th place thinking, holy cow, we have a two-time champion sitting in the spot that he is. If I recall correctly, you had him in your championship four pick on the show a few weeks back. I did. Uh, he still got a shot to advance, but uh, I'm I'm not ruling him out. As David would say, you can never count out Kyle Busch. Um, <laughs> if anybody can win this week and find their way to advance, it'd be Kyle Busch as far as I'm concerned. Um who is going to advance out? Uh, who's going to get those those last few spots in? Uh, because, you know, there's a couple guys in this mix, Spencer, that aren't the best when it comes to road course racing. Brad Keselowski, you know, Chris Busher, Bubba Wallace. Uh, there, there's guys in that bunch that uh, the Roval could not come at a worse time. Absolutely, Tyler. I, I think that every driver – that's basically fifth on back is worried about this weekend. The only drivers that are probably going in feeling okay is Christopher Bell and Denny Hamlin. Uh, Bell, he knows that he has speed there. He was able to do a clinch win last year, of course. But I'm looking at someone like Martin Shrex Jr. I mean, how up and down has his playoffs been? You think he's down and out, and all of a sudden he clawed his way back up uh, at Bristol. Now we go back just 17 points above the cutoff line. 
that's a tough position to be in over there too. And he has not had the best of luck at the Roval. He came, I mean, so close a couple of years ago, of course, but uh, another person, Brad Keselowski, like you said, not the best road course ringer uh, when it comes to these new cup cars. He has struggled at places like the Roval, especially with the tight turns in the infield section. Um, I think that a driver that might be somewhat excited, though, Tyler Reddick. I mean, he's had some great road course uh, runs both this year and last year. And, and of course, Ross Chastain, I think he's just excited to go to the track every week. I, I don't think he ever goes to the track thinking he doesn't have a chance to win. So the only other driver that I'd like to highlight in that is probably Bubba Wallace. I think that he's worked very hard on his road course craft. But when I look at these 12 drivers, I would personally rank him 12th. And that's cause for concern, Tyler, for the driver that number 23. Yeah. Yeah. And he's uh comes in at nine points out uh of the cutoff at this point. Uh ultimately, uh, who's gonna get the job done and get the win uh this weekend? Dom, uh, I got one a little off the wall of sorts. Very good road course racer. I mentioned him earlier for a connection to me. Um uh, he is in a position where a win would be very nice. He doesn't probably have to have it to advance, but uh, I'm saying Christopher Bell wins at the Roval this week. I'm, I'm going to go a little off the wall there. He's been running sneaky good the last few weeks. I got Bell winning and advancing. Who do you got winning and advancing the next round? Well, I got to say that is a good pick. That's your defending race winner of the Roval from 2022. And, and, and two, to, to add to that, the driver that has gone on to win at the Roval the last four years has advanced to the championship for each of those last four years and has gone on to win the championship twice. Now, in that pick, in that in that last four of the races, the driver I'm picking is a previous Roval winner. Now, he is no longer in championship contention, but his team is, and his team can advance to the round of eight, much like how we did see last year with Kyle Larson and the number five team. I'm picking Chase Elliott. I'm pulling a Tyler Jones, and I'm picking Chase Elliott to win at the Roval this week, and he gets that first win of 2023. It'd be something if Chase goes the whole year without a win. We'll see. Spencer, who uh, wins and advances the next round? I, I mean, both of the, your guys' answers are pretty reasonable, I think. I, I think the, the fact that Chase hasn't won is still probably not – a hundred percent made it into my brain yet. I, I think that's shocked the whole world this year. Um, I'm going to have to go with a playoff driver though. I think that when it comes to pit stops, when it comes to just getting every single ounce out of the car, these 12 drivers are going to be focused more than the rest of the field. And I'm looking at Denny Hamlin right now. He, he's in a comfortable position. He still needs to go for that win. I feel, uh, and I think he's got a little bit of swagger guys. I, I think you listen to his podcast every week He's got some confidence rolling into these next few weeks. I think that Denny Hamlin, driver the number 11, is going to be one to reckon with on Sunday. No, that's a great pick there. And one yeah, that we've talked a lot about on this show, and, and Tyler somewhat agreed with me, David as well, and I'm curious if you do, Spencer. There's a Bobby Allison feel to Denny Hamlin this year. Bobby Allison won his first and only NASCAR Cup Series championship in his 18th full-time year. He had already won 73, 74 races. Finally got that first title. I just feel like it's Denny Hamlin's year. I said at the beginning of the year, this is Hamlin's year. There's something different about it. And he is proving that through these playoffs. And he's been in contention every single year. It's not like it's from lack of performance. I mean, last year, 
I mean, let's be honest, guys. He he was in the final four. <laughs> if it wasn't for the craziest video game move we've ever seen, I mean, who knows? I, when it comes to Phoenix, it, it always seems like those four drivers uh, that are going for the championship are just in another zip code. And I think that Denny Hamlin not only can get to the final four, but I got to agree. I, I think that this is as good a year as any for him to finally pull through and just the stars align for him. And he gets that victory in Phoenix and takes home his first championship. He needs it. He, I mean, I, I don't know how many more years he can go through and be arguably one of the best drivers of the entire season, be right on the verge of winning the regular season playoffs and, and being up front in the playoffs and just come up short at Phoenix every single year. That's mentally draining on a driver. Um, but I've seen a new Denny Hamlin this year. I, I think that we see a little less anger from him and a little just more relaxed Denny. I, I feel like he's at peace with whatever happens. And that might just be what he needs to pick up that championship. There we go. Uh, now time for our mailbag segment. Uh, ask David. No David here this week, but we get questions for Spencer and Dom and I that we'll answer. You can uh, send your questions each and every week uh, via email, davidstarpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, on X as well at Star Podcast, formerly known as Twitter, and uh, Facebook at Star Podcast as well. You can find us there. First question in the inbox this week comes from Benny. Benny wants to know, guys, with the schedule release coming out this week, what is one track in the future that you would like to see added to the schedule that NASCAR has never been to before? Ooh. I'll take this one first, I guess. Yeah, go, Spencer. Thank you. You know what? I'm going to change it up a little bit here. I want to see the truck series just hit more short tracks in general. I think one of the great short tracks uh, that the truck series would do really well at, and kind of going back to its West Coast roots, would be Irwindale Speedway. I know our time is very limited over there. I know that that mall is coming in quick, but if we can just get one truck race over there, Xfinity would be a dream, but one truck race seems reasonable to me. Uh, that might be one of the best races we ever see. Dom? That's a great answer. That's a hard one to follow up on. And, and sitting here thinking about that and kind of close to us and in our backyard somewhat and that, that Colorado push, we saw Xfinity, I believe the truck series head to Pikes Peaks International Raceway. We never saw the Cup Series run there. And they still do some cool one-off events there. They'll, they'll have people bring in their, their vehicles and, and I think do some SCCA racing up there. But Tyler, it'd be really cool to see right off Interstate 25, just south of Denver, Colorado, to see the NASCAR Cup Series run the one, one-third mile Pikes Peaks International Raceway. Well, uh, I won't answer Montreal uh, since that's <laughs> what I do want. But uh, beyond Montreal, I got to tell you, I do love road racing. And, and I want to see more road racing. Um, and the street course I thought was fantastic last year. I would I would love to do what IndyCar does and go hit the streets of Long Beach. Uh, you know, I think NASCAR, I know that they've emphasized the Midwest market right now. But – you know, we got to find a way to replace California. Um, I don't know if we'll ever go back to Auto Club. Uh, you know, talking about making it a short track and all that. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. But go back into that market, race the you know, streets of Long Beach. Maybe you could even do a doubleheader weekend with IndyCar and share the track or something that weekend. But to me, that would be awesome. Uh, it'd be a great time of year there in March uh, to go to Long Beach and 
And it's been very successful in IndyCar. That's their second most popular race of the year behind the Indy 500. So that's where uh, I would like to go uh, at the very least. Uh, what do you think about that idea, Spencer? You know, I, I'm with you. I like the road racing. I, I think that maybe we might have teetered on the edge of too many this year for at least the average fan. Personally, I, I love it. I don't know if I love the current car that we're racing at the road courses. I, I think this car is honestly too good of a road racing car uh, to put on a great race. I think one of the things that made all these road courses so fascinating throughout the years was the fact that these cars drove like crap. I mean, they're too heavy, not enough brakes. Everybody was blowing off the corners. Now they're glued to this thing. And yes, you're going to see people like Mike McDowell be really successful. Of course, SVG, we would not have seen that a couple of years ago, I don't think. Um, but who knows? I mean, we also saw the likes of Marcos Ambrose shine as well as AJ Allmendinger. At the end of the day, road courses are really cool. And I hope that we continue to have, you know, around that six to eight mark. I think that's reasonable to say. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think that's the case. Uh, next question in the inbox comes from Jeff. Jeff wants to know, uh, how do you guys feel about behavior off and on the track? Should the two be reflective like the person is the same on and off the track? Uh, we'll start with Dominic this time. Great question, Jeff. I would say as far as conduct, too, like thinking about that and how somebody handles himself on and off the track, for better or for worse, and, and whether drivers want to acknowledge it, a lot of them will, will be humble and say they aren't, but they are celebrities. They are D, B, and C, and even A-list celebrities at points. And, and I think when you are on the track and you're off the track, people look up to you, whether those be kids or fans or, or just anybody in general. When you're in the public eye and you're a public figure, I feel like, again, whether you're wanting to be or not, you are certainly held to a higher standard. So maybe you don't get the luxury like most people would on a pass on, let's say, a social media post or how you answer a certain question. But it, it seems like if you are a driver and especially if you're in the national spotlight, yeah, I, I would say that you have to be that same person on the track and off the track, at least from a professional standpoint. Of course, you can have your, your public persona and your private persona, much like how we see with Dale Earnhardt, how he was and, and, and putting on this intimidator thing, but being best friends with Jeff Gordon off the racetrack, right? Personas. But I think there's a balance to it. What do you think, Spencer? You, you've had the opportunity to be behind the wheel. You're behind the microphone. I think you have more credibility on that answer as well. You know, I, I like what you say about balance because you're you're 100 correct you you need balance if you're a super aggressive driver and you know you're you know getting in fights you're getting in tussles on the racetrack you can't always be that same person off the racetrack at the end of the day you have sponsors you have teams you have uh, fans that you need to you know respond to and have a good at least working relationship with but one of the great things about racing dom is the fact that we're able to have characters and I love that fact that you can go out and you can have Denny Hamlin and he's eating all these booze up every single weekend, guys. He he loves it. He's posting about it. And honestly, I think that in some weird way, it's actually gained him more fans this year. And if nothing else, more noise. He's always talking about noise and drivers do in general. The worst thing you can possibly do is get introduced on a stage and the crowd goes mild. You want them to make a lot of cheers 
or booze. You just want to hear noise. And I, I think that takes a personality. And I think that takes, you know, at some point, a little bit of character. You don't have to go full blown and be a WWE superstar or anything like that. But you need to have a personality both on and off the racetrack. Yeah, the only one I can really think that was uh, kind of an a-hole off the track and on the track was Tony Stewart. Like, he he was the same guy all the time. Uh, and then, you know, later in his career, he mellowed out, and he mellowed out as a race car driver, too. So uh, he kind of changed as his personality changed uh, as far as that goes. But for me, like, I, I look at it this way, guys. Like, I want to see guys – be aggressive and, and go out there, you know, and, and, you know, balls to the walls, right? You know, like, you know, we had that little scuffle this weekend with, uh, you know, who was it, Nick Sanchez? You know, like, I, I'm down for more of that stuff. And those guys, you know, not 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 being afraid to throw hands or whatever they may, but, you know, when, when they leave the track, whatever, go be good people and all that. But, I mean – I would be all in favor, like more fights and all that, like go for it. Why not? I mean, maybe don't get arrested outside the racetrack, but if you want to lay hands on somebody, cause you know, you want to even things out for how things run the, the racetrack have at it as far as I'm concerned, Spencer. Tyler, at the end of the day, let's just let them be people. Right. I mean, right. it's very natural to have a reaction, whether it be good or bad in any given situation. What I cannot stand is watching some of these drivers just stand up there and give the vanilla interview and have to lie about, you know, going in and dumping somebody after the race. We all know what happened. It, I mean, what, who are you actually fooling? You have to say it though nowadays so that you don't get this huge fine and even worse, get points taken away. I don't love that aspect of it. I, I wish that we would find some balance going back to that keyword to where these drivers can go back to having these really big personalities and not get slapped on the wrist for it every single time. There are limits, though. Yeah. What do you think, Dom? Yeah, like, like I think just kind of goes all the way back to balance. You got to let these people be people, and you're going to have reactions when things happen on the racetrack, and, and and it's all about a balancing act. And I mean, let's be honest, telling somebody you're going to f and kill them, f and kill them two, three times, that's probably not a good look, even if you are in the right. And I think that's why NASCAR did find both drivers in that situation but you're right at the same token too some of these drivers don't have personality I, I won't name the driver but there was a driver i spoke with at the end of the inaugural roval race we're walking down pit road and i'm asking him questions and i don't know if he thought it was one of those low risk or, or high risk low reward kind of situations talking to the non-camera people but man the question what part of the roval was the most challenging and he tells me well some parts of the track were tough for some and some parts of the track were tough for others. Really? That's the most vanilla answer you could ever give anybody. That doesn't answer anything. So it's all about balance. Yeah, for sure. Uh, guys, we're almost out of time. Uh, this, this hour or so has just flown by before we do, uh, Spencer, we want to thank you for joining us, man. Where could people see, uh, your work and, and, uh, follow you both, uh, as you cover the sport and uh, racing as well, where can people follow along, man? Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me, first and foremost. It's been a blast. Uh, love covering the sport, love talking about it, love being involved in it. You can follow all of my work as far as the media stuff goes on New Mexico Motorsports Report and www.nmmotorsportsreport.com. 
Uh, we also have a magazine that you can find in stores all across New Mexico. And if you're from out of state and you'd like one, just send us DM. As far as the racing stuff goes, you can follow me on Instagram, X, uh, Threads now, and of course, Facebook at Spencer underscore Hill 4 and www.spencerhillracing.com. There you have it. Uh, guys, uh, real quick, what's everybody got going on this week? Uh, Spencer, w- w- what about you? What do you get going on these next couple of days? You're off New Hampshire, right? Yep, I'm finishing up uh, the October edition of the magazine right now as we speak. It's going to be a late night, and then first thing tomorrow, flying up to New Hampshire. we got Road Course World Finals coming up for Legend Car Racing. Uh, going to be a fun one up there. And then we got Asphalt Nationals coming up shortly after that at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And then, like I said earlier, got two more planned races for the year with Votto Speedway Park coming up in November and then uh, Tulsa Shootout time. So hopefully I can get back in touch with you guys before then, kind of touch base, but looking forward to it, guys. No doubt. No doubt. We're excited. And we uh, we can't wait to be on the crew at the Tulsa Shootout. Uh, me and Dominic, uh we'll, we'll we'll drink the beer and we'll let you drive the car you know and we'll all win it'll be a great time uh dominic what's going on with you man well i'm really excited to tell you guys and and, and i've shared this with you guys off off the show but i can share this with the audience now i mean been working with jeff bodine on his autobiography and we're flying out to florida this weekend to go work with him to put some finishing touches on the book i'm proud to say that we can announce this now that we have signed with Trilogy Publishing, and it looks like the book will be ready to go in quarter one of 2024. We're hoping, Tyler, ahead of the Daytona 500. We'll see how this weekend meeting goes with the Boat Irons, but really exciting, and they live in Florida. So, of course, family's coming along. We're going to go spend a couple days out there and go explore the great state of Florida. How about you? Awesome. That's exciting. Uh going to be enjoying my weekend here in Dallas. Uh, it's Red River Shootout weekend, a different type of shootout from Tulsa Shootout. Uh, OU Texas coming up on Saturday, uh, Texas State Fair going on. So it's uh, going to be crazy. It's the best weekend of the year here in uh, the great city of Dallas. So uh, that's what we'll be up to this weekend. But uh, it's certainly going to be following what's going on with the Roval and uh, should be a fun weekend. We'll see how the playoff picture goes from there. We'll break it down next week on the show. Uh, we'll put the checkered flag out on this edition of Let's Go Racing. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the show. New episodes out each and every week on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Hit that like button. We certainly would appreciate it. You guys follow us on social media, X at Star Podcast, uh, Facebook at Star Podcast, and you can email us, uh, davidstarpodcast at gmail.com. This show, part of the Studio Soapbox Network, along with the Jones Report and uh, the Coach Bo Knows Podcast. Check out all those podcasts wherever you're listening to podcasts. And we shall see you all next week. For David Starr, Dominic Aragon, Spencer Hill, I am Tyler Jones. Thanks so long. It's been another edition of Let's Go Racing. See you next week.